0: if I can keep one officer, one first responder from making that one choice that puts you on administrative leave for 15 months and terminated, if I can keep one officer from making that bad choice because they thought, you know what, I remember learning or talking to an officer in wherever. And I remember his story or her story. And I need to go take care of myself. I need to go do this to protect my family and not lose my family over this job. A lot of people, make this job their identity. And I did it. I was cop through and through. My dad was a cop, my son's a cop, my brother's on my police department. I mean, it's it's in our
1: blood. Hello and welcome everyone to the COPS podcast. As always, I am Blake Haynes, the multimedia specialist with concerns of police survivors. And joining me today is Master Sergeant John Blumenthal of the Oklahoma City Police Department. John, thank you for sitting down with us. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you. It's an honor. So we've got, um, you know, Blue does a lot for officers nationwide when it comes to health and wellness programs. Um, you've kind of walked that path yourself as well. You are a coworker of Jeff Rominger and Matt Evans, who um, EOW is eight thirty 31 2000 So you've kind of full circled there, Blue. Can you kind of just kind of dive into that for us?
0: So I got hired in um, August 1999 with the Oklahoma City Police Department. I had just gotten out of the uh, United States Marine Corps after serving four years active duty. Went through the academy, got off the FTO program in uh, May of 2000. Um, so I was solo probationary officer. That night, it was a Wednesday night, uh, I came on to duty at 21.30, 9.30. I worked 9.30 at night to 7.30 in the morning was my shift, uh, it was third shift. Worked out of the, um, the downtown area, it was called Will Rogers Division then. Jeff was uh, one of my sector partners. Um, we'd been working together for about three months. I've been on, I guess, right at three months so uh, like any other night, out taking calls, doing this, that, and the other, pretty average night as far as that goes. I was actually changing a flat tire of a citizen uh, on a downtown bridge when I heard Jeff going to pursuit, uh, which was not abnormal at all for our area where we worked at. I finished up changing the tire, start to hop up on the highway, I-40, uh, or is there a cross town? And I hear Jeff heading northbound on May Avenue, which is approaching I-40. Uh, I got another partner behind me, actually, in another separate car. And, um, Jeff enters the interstate going eastbound in the westbound lanes of I-40. Again, just another pursuit. He's on the off-ramp entering the interstate, the wrong direction. They're, they're coming right at me. And I, uh, well, I haven't said this in a very long time. Um, I swerved out of the way. I got out of the way that, that, that piece alone is a whole nother, whole nother part, but I swerved out of the way. The officer behind me also swerved out of the way. And we went, um, eastbound in the westbound lanes of I-40. It was 3.01 in the morning, very little traffic out. We were driving some pretty old cars then, didn't really think anything about it, but we're in pursuit of these bad guys. Uh, we did not know that Trooper Matt Evans with the Oklahoma Highway Patrol was actually coming westbound in the westbound lanes, going to help another trooper on the west side of the metro. We ha- did not have the same radios, couldn't check each other's radios at that time, nothing like that. Um, we didn't know that he was coming at us. He didn't know that we were coming at him. And we were traveling at a very high rate of speed. Jeff actually clipped a semi that was coming at us. And then Trooper Evans' car, Jeff's car, and the suspect car all collided, making a giant fireball. Uh, myself and the other officer skidded to a stop, ran up to the, to the scene, which was the, all the vehicles were completely engulfed in flames. We actually didn't know that Trooper Evans was even in the crash at the time. We really didn't know what happened. We watched it. It was obviously a very overwhelming situation. I was 23 years old when Matt and Jeff were killed. I'm now 47. Ran up, tried to administer first aid to everybody. Jeff, we got Jeff out of the car with the assistance of the Oklahoma City Fire Department. It looked, it was bad. It was real bad. Matt, unfortunately, he did perish in the fire uh, inside of his uh, patrol vehicle, and the suspects were also killed. So, four people killed in the accident itself, Jeff was actually pronounced at OU Medical Center. And um, that's kind of how my story started. It was a uh, very long day, very long night. We were ordered to go back to our uh, briefing station. It was into the early morning hours now. It was all over the news, of course, and everything. My son was uh one-year-old. Yeah, one-year-old. He's twenty, almost 24 now. That was my, my one of my sons. I'd been married for about a year, I guess, at the time. My dad was also a police officer, uh, so I'm a cop's kid myself. Um, I remember my dad showing up at the police station that morning, which he was on day shift, and I was like, what are you What are you doing here? And he said the major called me. Him and my major at the time played golf together. And I'm like, why is my dad here? And the major said, you're not driving home. Uh, your dad's taking you home. And I was like, like a kid again. I go home, My wife knew nothing about what was going on, other than what she'd seen on the news. I get home, I go to what is known now as the magic chair. Uh, I'm not going to lie; I cracked open a bottle, and I sat there and just I started drinking my day away. I, like I said, I've been on three months. Uh, This was uh, a very unique situation. Thank God that has not happened here since then. With two officers, two separate agencies uh, being killed on the same call, Um, but that's kind of where my story started. It was. Went downhill from there. I was divorced very shortly after that. I did come back to work the next week, like we all did. The department, and I don't blame anybody back then, the department didn't really know what to do with us. We actually got sent to go see Dr. Kathy Thomas in Stillwater, Oklahoma, a few weeks later. And she knows this. Um, we did not like each other. <laughs> uh, I did not want to go to this debrief. We were voluntold. We were going to this debrief in Stillwater with some some lady who wasn't a cop ever and she was going to help us this thing called a debrief it was um back then things were a lot different and again I don't I don't blame anybody for what did or not occur it was just different then but we went to Stillwater we attempted a debrief it, it, it didn't it didn't go well I'm just going to say we um we debriefed ourselves at night in the uh in the hotel bar um and we went right back to work it, it wasn't fun looking back at what there was a lot of sitting behind buildings crying there was a lot of um emotions on calls that probably shouldn't have been there, a lot of bad choices that went on for years, years and years, a lot of bad choices, a lot of lack of coping skills, a lot of self-medication with uh, alcohol and sleeping pills. And that's, that's kind of where my story started at.
1: So taking it from there, where are you today?
0: Well, through that, there's, there's a lot more pieces over the last 23 and a half years that I've been on this police department. But today I am um, one of the full-time wellness sergeants on our wellness unit with the Oklahoma City Police Department, we started this team two years ago. It's myself, two other sergeants, we have a lieutenant, and then we also have a full-time licensed professional counselor that is on our team
1: also. So why is that important? Why is it important to have that unit within the OKCPD?
0: PD? We, we service our, our 1,200 sworn employees and about 400 civilian employees and their families. Everybody in our office was selected to be in this unit, was asked and to be in this unit interviewed. We all have our own stories. Officer-involved shootings, fatality accidents. Between the four of us, we we pretty much cover just about everything that um, good and bad that you could do as an officer. I've been in trouble on this police department. I've been—I actually was terminated at one point in uh, 2008. So I've I've done a lot of a lot of bad choices, which I own. But I do this to help people. I, I don't want somebody to have to go through what I went through to become resilient to understand that counseling is OK, to understand that being a human being is normal um, and to to get the help when you need it. You know, the bucket can only get so full before it it's going to overflow. And what that looks like for everybody is different. It can come out at home. It can come out at work. It comes out on your loved ones, your children. Uh, all of my kids now are adults and they have all if they were sitting in this interview, they could tell you about how things were bad at home. I let this job own me. I I was 100% a police officer. I forgot about being a dad. I forgot about being a husband. Um, Self care didn't even exist. I didn't even know what that word meant. Now I I try to take care of myself. I work out every day. My eating habits have changed. I've lost. I my highest weight I got up to was about 285. That was about three or four years ago. Just in the last year, I've lost a substantial amount of weight by just changing a lot of a lot of things and being positive positive outlook uh, actually helps a lot great family life good coping skills and just not letting people change my day when i do have to deal with citizens or you know i talk to people i don't i don't let them get to me like i used to i don't take it personal when someone gets mad about something in fact i will i still go to counseling uh, my counselor saved my life uh, i i don't mind saying that at all he saved my life it was years ago we still talk uh, I will tell you, um, he already knows after police week and I come home from doing support services, I already have an appointment. Some of the stuff we do is pretty heavy as peers and working with the concerns of police survivors and talking and, and dealing with officers around the country. Um, we also need to take care of ourselves as as peer support and support services.
1: And what does it take for an officer or an individual to do some of that self-identification? So say, OK, you know, this event happened in you know, I'm sure, you know, affects it affects everybody differently, like you were saying. Right. So what does it take for that individual to be like, OK, it's time I've got to, I've got to do something.
0: That's a great question. Normally, what we see around the country is the officer doesn't see it. It's sometimes a coworker. It could be a supervisor. But more than that, it's usually your family. It's the, the, the support system that you have at home is usually who gets the brunt end of this job your spouse, who you don't want to listen to when they tell you that you're being an a-hole, you know, that you're saying inappropriate things around family functions, or you're completely disassociated and you sit in that magic chair, or you you get home from work and you want nothing to do with the kids, you want nothing to do with your spouse. That's normally who sees it first. I, I didn't see it at all. Um, it took more than one person to tell me how I was acting, and it took years. I'm talking like 15 years. Trauma doesn't have an expiration. Um, it doesn't matter when your trauma happened in this job. Trauma keeps, it, it just reoccurs. It's cumulative. It keeps building up. Um, sometimes people can, uh, they don't feel normal. Um, I say, you know, I forgot who I was before I got in this police department. And that's where I wanted to get back to. I wanted to get back to being John Blumenthal, not Sergeant Blumenthal, not the motor officer, not the undercover guy. I just wanted to be myself. Um, it's a process. It's definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. We don't get messed up overnight and we're not going to get fixed overnight either. And you have to be able to prepare yourself to put in the time. It's like trying to lose weight. It's not going to happen overnight. You've got to put the time into it. Just like mental health, you've got to put the time into it and accept. And it's hard. You have to accept your downfalls. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be ready to go talk um, about what has happened, what you've seen, smell and touched, because as human beings, some of the stuff we do, it's, it's not normal. People say you can normalize that. No, some of the stuff you can't. We see the worst of the worst. We see what human beings do to each other. And and it's at some point you start to question your faith. You start to question, why am I doing this? Am I really making a difference with this one arrest or this one DUI stop or this one ticket? You know, what am I doing out here when I feel like society doesn't doesn't like us? They don't care. Well, they do care. It's just the the minority that's talking right now um, are the loudest. And sometimes we forget why we took this job, which is to help people. And that's our unit in the wellness unit here uh, and peer support across the country. You know, our our main focus is our officers. We want them happy and healthy to go out to the streets to help our citizens and serve our communities.
1: So you're an officer or you're that spouse or you're a child or, you know, what have you. It's not always the easiest thing to approach somebody that you can see is you know, having some of these, these effects that are, that they're going through day to day to day, how do you encourage or what are some tips that you can provide to say, Hey, you know, have that individual be able to approach, you know, an officer and say, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. One of the things I
0: found, and this was actually through cops, through a coworkers retreat, which I started going to, I think in 2015, I think a friend of mine, uh, who was a police officer? I was actually with her husband when he was killed in the line of duty in 2005. She called me and said, Hey, I found out about this coworkers thing. And I'm like, whatever, I'm not I'm not doing that. That's not for me. I'm good. I'm fine. And she's like, I, You're going, just so you know, and you're driving. Well, Potosi about six hours from here. So we go, and I did not want to go. And I, I tell this story all over the country. The first year I was there, we had 91 people. There were 91 people in that room, a little cliquish. Some people have been there a long time. Some people were yellow tags, the the newbies like I was. And I walked into this room and I had a bad attitude. I did. I I was very apprehensive about talking to anybody, about listening to anybody. And the more these people talked, the more I saw myself in them. The more these people talked, they got it. They understood me. They weren't counselors. They were cops. And the, the best thing I have found over the years is something in common that you have with another first responder, a police officer, fire, IMSA. Or EMS uh, dispatch communications, whatever it is, uh, corrections is to find somebody that you trust that has been through something like you and who has become resilient, got the education and training, and is on the other side of this. Um, that was a huge turning point in my life. Was going to coworkers retreat. I, I try to sell it all over the country. Anytime I'm speaking, I truly, truly believe in that. In that retreat, um, it was hard to walk in that door, and it, had it not been for Kelly, I would have never gone. Um, but I've made some great friends around the country because of that. When I'm having a bad day, I can shoot a text or call somebody that's nowhere near me and vice versa. They know that they can reach out to me day or night and, and they do. And I appreciate that, but they're also there for me on those anniversary dates, August 31st, my phone blows up and I appreciate it every year when someone shoots me a text thinking about you, you know, they text me the day before, Hey, I know what tomorrow is just simple little text messages like that. If somebody reaching out that I know has been through, a similar situation that lost a coworker. It doesn't matter how they lost them. It's the it's the commonality that we have that now I trust this person. You could work at a whole nother agency, met you for the first time in October, a coworker's retreat, and now we're lifelong friends. And that's a great feeling to have.
1: And then another element to this is not just the peers that you work with every day um, on the job or you know your, your family at home. When it comes to like administration admin within departments and agencies, what advice do you have for them to implement maybe units like what you've got there at OKC you know OKC yeah. or you know just getting officers mentally well and ready to perform their job every day what would you what would your advice be
0: this type of leadership there has to be buy-in at the top i'm pretty fortunate i get to talk to a lot of sheriffs a lot of commissioners and a lot of police chiefs around the country and the buy-in has to come from them our unit would not be successful as we are here in Oklahoma City if we did not have the buy-in from our administration Uh, When our chief took over a few years ago, one of his first priorities was to make a peer support team, a wellness unit. And the past few years have been great with his support and the uh, support of the deputy chiefs, the majors, because when it starts at the top and trickles down, people don't have a choice but to do it then. I can go sit car to car with somebody and we can sit and talk about how crappy that last call was. And, And that does do something. But to have the resources that we have in place here, like we do here in Oklahoma City with the approval of our chief, that goes a long, long way. When I'm talking to a troop and I say, hey, I can do this for you. If you will, let me know what's going on. Let me help you work through this situation. Um, I can go upstairs and say, hey, officer so and so needs a couple of days of wellness leave from that really tragic call he had yesterday. And the chief says approved. And then we get to put that person on special assignment. We have wellness days here. They have to come through our office. I have a troop call me or I'll go to a scene. And it's a it's a bad fatality accident, you know. And they're having a real rough time with it. I can send them home from the scene, and then um, shoot an email upstairs. And for the next couple three days, they're going to be on wellness leave. And but one of those one of the points is they have to go to counseling one day, uh, and they can see our in house counselor here at the police department. But you've got to have buy in from upstairs to have a successful program. You can't you can't just check a box to let the community know, yes, we have a peer support team or we have a wellness team. You've gotta do more than that. You've gotta get your people properly trained and you have to have the right people who are vulnerable and who are willing to talk and more importantly, are who willing to listen and have those resources ready when an officer says, I need help. We have facilities all over the country we use that we have actually traveled to and vetted. We have um, one in California that we use all the time. And I can make a phone call now to the director and I will usually be able to get that officer out of Oklahoma City within 48 hours to go get help. Uh, and that that's a huge, huge thing is to have those resources in place um, ready to go when an officer does need help.
1: Right. So you're not reactive. You're you're you already have those steps in place to make sure that the wellness is there. Yes, absolutely. And another like element to this is the health and wellness trainings and classes and conferences that are outside of like units and departments as well. Um, obviously concerns of police survivors holds a national conference every year. This year we're we're gonna be in Orlando. And then we've got the nine traumas of law enforcement trainings that are held across the country. Um, the next one obviously we've got a few. We've got Atlanta, we've got New Orleans. We're I mean, we're literally everywhere. That's a free training for you to attend. Yes. And you've been a part of those. Talk about mm-hmm. some of those trainings and how beneficial those can be for officers, agencies, and and the likes. Yeah, those trainings
0: that we do across the country, and as you know, I, I do a lot of peer support at, at a lot of those conferences, the, the national conference and a lot of the traumas of law enforcement. The, the big thing is they're all free. You just got to get there. If you don't have a background or the agency doesn't have a peer support team or wellness unit, this is a great opportunity to go get a lot of knowledge in three full days of classroom setting to get to talk to officers from around the country. Uh, the teams that we bring in to teach these are some of the best of the best we bring people in from all over the country to talk about things we don't like to talk about um we have um, a panel that comes in that's usually a local panel of survivors uh that is usually a spouse a coworker, and a surviving um, child they come in and talk to the officers but they talk like human beings because they are human beings and when they talk these officers listen the first TLE I went to, it was years ago. I wanted to go and see what it was about before I started, you know, putting getting getting involved in it. That survivor panel was huge to me to listen to how what, what these survivors remember about the night their loved one was killed. Um, because we as officers sometimes we don't really think about what 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 they might be thinking about later on. They they remember what we looked like, they remember what we said. They remember if we made promises to them that we are not upholding after their loved ones, you know, after the service is done uh, and things like that. They're extremely impactful. It's a lot of information. It's good, good, valid information that can really help out your agency. But not only your agency, it's going to help you. It will help you out as an officer, as a supervisor. And again, it's all free. You just have to get there. They're, They're great trainings. We have the same lead instructor from the California Highway Patrol, uh, Brent Newman, that does all the lead instructor at all of the traumas in law enforcement. So all the information is exactly the same around the country, no matter which one you go to. The great thing about it is we get to meet people from everywhere, they're regional. So we have people, when I was in Rhode Island, I think it was last year, we had people from all over the Northeast come in. Um, Sacramento last year, we had people from Nevada and down South, and I mean, all over Utah, up North. It's just it's really neat to get to talk to these people and these officers and supervisors from around the country and see what's working. See what's not working. That's the information you're going to gain from going to traumas and law enforcement. The National Conference is absolutely amazing. Uh, Great speakers from all over the country come in. Again, we have support services there that is provided by the Warriors Rest Foundation. We have a team come in from all over the country. The counselors that we that we bring in are all vetted counselors. They deal with trauma. And first responders, that is their that is their job. They are very, very good at it. There's nothing you're going to say that they probably haven't heard or that we can't find a resource for. Uh, even in your local area, as we travel the country, we're really good at finding resources around the country in your local
1: area. You've been through the trainings, right? You've been through the process, through your career, through your life, and you've seen it firsthand. And you've developed all this knowledge from firsthand experience, right? Why is it important for you? to then pass on that knowledge and do these trainings and give back to the law enforcement community and the element that you do? I feel like if I
0: kept the good and the bad to myself, that somebody else could potentially take that path. If I can keep one officer, one first responder from making that one choice that puts you on administrative leave for 15 months and terminated for 13 months and being arrested by your own agency and going to jail, and being blasted all over the internet, and the national news. If I can keep one officer from making that bad choice, because they thought, you know what, I remember learning, or talking to an officer in wherever. And I remember his story or her story. And I need to go take care of myself, I need to go do this to protect my family and not lose my family over this job. A lot of people make this job their identity, and I did it. I was cop through and through. My dad was a cop. My son's a cop. My brother's on my police department. I mean, it's it's in our blood. Um, but I have to remember and remind myself sometimes that this is what I do. This is not who I am. You know, I am a dad. I am a husband. I'm a brother. I'm a son. For a long time, I was a little league wrestling coach and a baseball coach. I have to remind myself sometimes that this job is great. I love this job. I've been doing it a really long time. But the hard piece for me back then was going home. The job was easy. Like there wasn't a lot you could throw at me that I couldn't take care of on the streets. But going home and trying to be a good husband and a good father, I failed miserably. I failed miserably at it. I just I like to help people. It helps me to share my story, which I'm very blessed to get to travel with. The concerns of police survivors with warriors rest, with my own department and teaching and passing this knowledge along, you know, the sign of a good leader is to find the next leader. And I truly believe that even when I was a field training officer, I would try to pass along all the knowledge I possibly could because I know that I'm not going to be a police officer forever. I know that that day is coming Uh, could be sooner than later. But I love this job, and the best thing I can do for my police department and for these other agencies is to pass along the knowledge that helped me get through all these traumatic events that I've gone through over the last 24 years.
1: So I'm an officer. I am showing every sign that says he needs to go talk to somebody. He needs to go to some of these trainings. We need to get to him before he's he's no longer here, right? What is your pitch? What are you telling me? What is your approach to me to get me to go? So
0: first, I'm going to uh, I'm going to figure out what what situation are you in? Are you in trouble? What have you seen? What have you done? And then I'm going to I'm going to give you a little piece of myself to let you know that I don't know how you feel, but I've been through a similar situation, and I'm going to share that piece of me. Uh, I'm going to be extremely vulnerable. I'm going to be very open, but I'm also going to be honest. I'm going to talk to you like a cop. I'm not your mom, I'm not your dad, and I'm not your supervisor. So I'm gonna use cop language. Um, And I'm going to share pieces of me that sometimes aren't pleasant. And I'm gonna give you your options too. I'm also gonna tell you what can be on the backside of that if you don't probably get help, possibly terminated, possibly facing some type of charges administratively and or criminal. Uh, But I'm gonna be very honest and open with you. And I'm gonna share everything that I can that I think will help you. Now, with that being said, if you're not ready for help, I can't help you. And that's a lot of the things I run into around the country. And within my own agency, unfortunately, is people don't know or realize that they need help. They think they're fine. Their, their ego is in the way. Basically their ego gets in the way this tough guy mentality. Um, so until you are ready for help, um, I will help you. But if if you can't, if you, if you're not ready to get help, I can talk to you and I can give you resources but you're the one that has to make the the move and the final call to say I'm ready. I'm ready to go get help. Um we're starting to slowly change that narrative which is great. Um I it, it still happens though and in my within my own agency people call, I give them I give them the resource and next thing I know they're in trouble. Um as long as I know I've tried, as long as I know I've done everything that I can to help you The ball is in your court now. You have to decide if you're ready to get help. And sometimes people do wait too long, unfortunately. Um, When people do get in trouble, I'm still gonna give you resources. Um, I very rarely ever know what you did unless you tell me, and I don't ask. Um, I very rarely know what your situation is unless you're within my agency, but I I will still try to help you uh, and get you resources in your community.
1: There's a few terms that we hear all the time. you actually hit on one that I wanted you to kind of talk about. You don't have to explain to me what that acronym is. Uh, just uh, just kind of talk about, is it normal? is it what what does fine mean? like what what are some of those keys that you're looking for to kind of identify or maybe you know look into that kind of stuff for with your agency? Yeah, when someone says they're
0: fine, um there's something going on. they've they're they're normally maybe borderline to ask for help. And as you get to know people, of course, you get to know their demeanor. You get to know their, how they talk and how they act and things like that. Um, You can usually tell if somebody knocks on my door at my office and I can tell by the way they walk in, if they want to close that door or not, I can usually tell when I get out to a call, I look for certain signs, someone standing off by themselves, you know, somebody not engaging into actually handling the call, but it's, it's body language. It's just like watching a citizen when you're approaching them. It's, it's body language with us too. Or, and it's the, the the disassociation from, you know, you walk into a roll call or lineup room and someone's sitting by themselves. That's we don't sit like that. We sit with our with our partners, with our coworkers, with our buddies. So it's the same as just reading people, but you have to be, you have to be able to do that by not worrying about yourself. You have to be able to do that. And that's where that training education comes in. You have to be able to um, sit and listen to people. You 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 want to listen. Um, to listen, not to respond. And we're not very good at that as cops, because we're fixers. We want to go in and fix something immediately. We want to fix that domestic. We want to fix whatever your your problem is when you call us. And unfortunately, we're not very good at trying to fix ourselves because we're trying to take care of everyone else. And, some, and I've actually heard someone yesterday actually said, I think it's kind of selfish, this word self-care. I said, please explain that to me. You know, I'm gone all day. I come home. I need to be with my family. I need to be with my kids. I need to be with my wife, my spouse, my partner. I said, that's, that's good. That's valid. But if you're not healthy, what really are you doing at home? Are you outside playing catch? Are you outside riding bikes? Are you sitting in the magic chair flipping through channels? Are you on your phone with your buddy? Are you playing games? You know, you're on social media. So that self care piece is extremely important. And everybody's self care looks different. You don't have to go out and run a marathon for self care. You don't have to go lift a thousand pounds to have self-care. It's whatever you do to keep yourself grounded um, and to maintain some type of mental and physical healthiness can be your self-care, but you've got to be willing to uh, understand that you need that for yourself. And it's not being selfish at all. Uh, It's taking care of you so that you can take care of others.
1: That was kind of the last point I wanted to kind of have you touch on there. uh, Blue, I I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and kind of go over you know, the health and wellness aspect of law enforcement and what that looks like not only for somebody who's going into train, maybe that mental health professional but somebody who's walked that path and really full circle here now with your um with what you've got going on so thank you for sitting down with us oh absolutely it was an honor and
0: a pleasure i appreciate you uh, allowing me uh, to share these pieces of me i hope that uh, somewhere down the road this does help somebody and i really my last thing is is i want everybody to know that you're not alone you're not weird. You're not different. You're not special, but you are definitely not alone. Uh, reach out to the concerns of police survivors. Reach out to the Warriors Rest Foundation or within your own community and your own agency.
1: As always, uh, thank you all for tuning in. And you can find us um, online at concernsofpolice org, or give us a call here at the national office at 573 346 4911.